things. Did you find Acts chapter 25 yet? All right, Paul has been under arrest in Caesarea now for two years, according to the last verse of Acts 24. Uh, there was a Roman governor named Felix uh, who seemed very intrigued by Paul's life and ministry. And we spent some time uh, talking about that man. Uh, he, the, the Bible says, uh, in fact, Paul, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the Bible says in verse 22, and when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way. Felix, although he was a Roman, had a pretty good understanding of the gospel message and the, the believers. Though they were called Christians all the way back in Acts 11, it wasn't a universal name uh, that was used everywhere. So oftentimes you'll see it in the book of Acts, the people of that way um, and so forth. So he's a man who knew the gospel. Um, he called Paul in for private conversations over and over again. Uh, the Bible says that Paul reasoned with him of righteousness, uh, of temperance, and of judgment. And Felix was clearly under conviction. The Bible says when he heard those things in verse 25, uh, that Felix trembled. That means the, the Lord was working on his heart. But sadly, he put getting saved off. He said at the end of verse 25, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. I heard a preacher some, one time say, you don't get saved when you want to. You get saved when God wants you to. And what he meant by that, it wasn't a Calvinist statement. What it was is um, you, you don't get saved unless God's working in your heart. No man comes to the, to the Lord Jesus said, except he's drawn. Um, and uh, Felix has is, is been drawn. He's trembling. He's hearing the gospel. He thinks someday I'll get saved. Well, he doesn't know, number one, if there is a someday. And number two, he doesn't know, is God going to speak to him again about that subject? We also learned about Felix that maybe some of the reasons he kept putting off getting saved was he hoped Paul would pay him some bribe money to get him out of jail. That wasn't uncommon. Um, and so he called for him uh, more and more often, hoping for that. But Paul wasn't going to go for that. Paul's a Christian. He's establishing a testimony. And uh, that testimony would be sullied if now Paul is, is uh, giving in to this matter of bribing officials. Paul wouldn't do it. And uh, Felix got, uh, he fell out of favor with Rome. There was a somewhat of a civil war in the region of Caesarea. That was the Roman capital uh, there in Palestine. And the Jews and the Gentiles actually took up arms against each other. And Felix put it down uh, very, very harshly and especially came out after the Jewish uh, faction that was a part of it. Word reached Rome that he had reacted so badly and Felix got recalled and was going to have to go back to Rome and answer for that. The Bible says in verse 27, and Felix willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. Um, he knew that, that the, there's a possibility the Jewish leaders were going to send ambassadors to Rome to give testimony against him. He needed to try to get them back on his side. He knew they hated Paul. So rather than free him, he kept him in prison. Now, they, they, they found no charges to stick against him. 
uh, they, they've had a trial um, and, and nothing could be proved, but they didn't seem to follow the idea that you're innocent until proven guilty. It's kind of here you're guilty till proven innocent. And so Paul's in prison. Uh, it's been there two years. Verse 25, the new governor comes in. Now, when Festus was come into the province, after three days, he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Uh, this man, Festus, was only going to uh, be a governor uh, of this entire region for about two years. He would die while he was in office, uh, not from an assassin or anything like that, but it appears he died of natural causes. Uh, when he came, there was a lot of unrest still because of Felix's mistakes. So Festus, if you will, hit the ground running. He, he came to Caesarea, got settled in, and three days later, he goes to Jerusalem, the heart of Jewish culture. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired, desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. So he made, he made a quick time of getting to Jerusalem to meet them, and they were ready for him. They're still, they're still upset about Paul, and you realize Paul's been out of their hair for two years. Paul's been under arrest. He's not in any synagogue. He's not in the temple. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's out of, completely out of circulation, but that old hatred is still in their hearts, and uh, they're still acting upon that. Um, the word informed in verse number two, uh, if you follow it out in, in its, its etymology, it kind of carries the idea of a tattletale. Have you ever seen someone that is just, they're just itching to find a way to get somebody else in trouble? And I mean, they wanted to, we see it sometimes amongst kids uh, and so forth. And, and it kind of gives you that idea that that's what they were. By the way, these are supposed to be the spiritual leaders and they're harboring this in their hearts. And though this is not the heart of the message tonight, you and I need to be very, very careful that we don't allow that seed, that root of bitterness to get into our hearts. Um, because once it's there, it's very, very hard to get out. Keeping your place here, can I get you to turn to the book of Ezekiel? Ezekiel chapter 35. Ezekiel was an Old Testament prophet during about the time that Jerusalem was under siege from Babylon. It would eventually be destroyed during his lifetime. So we're looking at about 586 years before Christ. Verse one, moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, son of man, set thy face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it. Does anybody know what Mount Seir was or what people were involved in this property prophecy? Edom. Uh, Mount Seir was the capital uh, of the Edomite empire. Give me another name for Edom. Who was the founder? Esau, uh, Jacob's brother. Um, so this is a prophecy against the descendants of Esau. And, and we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. And say unto it, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir, I am against thee, and I will stretch out mine hand against thee, and I will make thee most desolate. I will lay thy cities waste, and thou shalt be desolate, 
And thou shalt know that I am the Lord. And here's why God is going to destroy the descendants of Esau. Because thou hast had a perpetual hatred and has shed the blood of the children of Israel by the force of the sword in the time of their calamity, in the time that their iniquity had an end. Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord, I will prepare thee unto blood and blood shall pursue thee. Sith thou hast not hated blood, even blood shall pursue thee. Thus will I make Mount Seir most desolate and cut off from it him that passeth out and him that returneth. God's going to destroy Esau's descendants because of a perpetual hatred. Can anybody tell me where, when or where that hatred started? Not with Lot. Stealing the birthright. Uh, actually, he sold his birthright and then he stole the blessing. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Uh, we're talking uh, about a thousand years of hatred and it started with Esau and he transferred that to his children and they to their children and it went on and on. That's why we got to be careful about it. Back in Acts chapter 25, it's been a two-year thing going on with the, the high priest and the chief of the Jews um, and, and they, they want Festus to send Paul uh, to Jerusalem and the reason is they're lying in the way, lying wait in the way to kill him. If you remember a couple chapters ago, 40 men took a vow on themselves and what were they going to do? Not eat until they killed Paul. So it's been two years, okay, under the assassination diet. Um, so we're going to assume either they gave up on the diet or, or they've died of starvation. But that, that's still in the mindset of these people. We want to kill Paul. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Now, Festus may have been informed by his predecessor about that plot. He may have known all about uh, Paul. Uh, the Bible doesn't specifically say, but for whatever reason, Festus did not give in to these people and send, bring Paul down. Again, it might have been he knew that they, they had a plan to kill him from their past history. Um, some uh, historians think that the reason he did this is he needed to show them that they weren't in charge. He was. He's the new governor. Um, he can't be seen bowing before the high priest in the Sanhedrin of Israel. They need to acknowledge him. Um, either way, he's keeping Paul safe. Let them, verse 5, therefore said he, which among you are able, go down with me and accuse this man if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them more than 10 days, he went down unto Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. Festus isn't waiting around. Remember, Felix has sat on this matter for two years. They had a trial. Uh, no charges could be proved against Paul, but he just kept him in jail. Um, and, and Festus isn't doing that. Uh, the Jews have come down in verse 7. When he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about. They are surrounding Paul. It's doubtful if Paul is in chains as he stands before them. Uh, in modern courts of law, a defendant, uh, especially of a violent crime, 
may be shackled and brought into the courtroom that way unless he's like deranged or something. Oftentimes they remove the, the handcuffs and so forth. Um, Paul's not a threat to, to anybody in that room. He's, he's all by himself. Um, and the Bible says that they are all around him and laid many grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. So there was, there was no weight to anything that they said. Uh, we go all the way back to when the riots started in the temple. Uh, they said, you know, Paul is, is against the Jews. He's against the law of Moses. Um, he's against the temple, none of which were true. And so they're, they're leveling similar charges, uh, and, and there's, there's no proof for anything. Please be reminded, child of God, an accusation is not the same as proof of guilt. Before you take a side, before you take a stand, make sure that there's proof offered. That's one of the dangers of gossip. Gossip is almost always some form of an accusation of wrongdoing by somebody else. And if you're not careful, you're going to get caught up into something. Um, you, you, ought to, you ought to be wise enough to say, I'll tell you what, let's go talk to so-and-so and find out. And I'll guarantee you they will not go. I guarantee you. Uh, be careful. And that doesn't mean sometimes somebody has a legit grievance about something uh, and so forth, but gossip is not the way to handle it. Um, Paul is here. There's something that I noted that the scripture is silent on uh, in, at this particular moment. Can anybody guess what it is? Just a thought that came to me. Paul's here. Festus is on his uh, throne in the courtroom, if you will. Um, the, the enemies of him, are around, they've surrounded him. They're shooting out all of these complaints which they could not prove. Can anybody tell me what's missing from this picture? Brother Tim. Yeah, they didn't bring Tertullus back. He didn't, he didn't do so well. He, he, uh, he failed, but that's, that's, not, that's what, not exactly what I'm uh, seeing is missing here. Anybody? Yeah, none of, the, none of the witnesses that brought the original charges from Ephesus uh, are there. That's missing. There's something else missing. Oh, Captain Lysias. Yeah, he's not there. Right. That one too. There's something else that's absent that I find sad. Ken. Yeah, there's nobody there supporting Paul. Um, where are all the companions that traveled from Asia with him to Jerusalem? Where's James, the pastor of the church, um, and, and the, the people of that church? Where are those four men that Paul went into the temple with under a vow that could verify uh, that he was not uh, doing anything wrong? He wasn't stirring up trouble. He wasn't preaching. He was there praying. Paul is standing all by himself. Isn't that sad? Again, it, it's just one of those moments of silence uh, that, that is there. So uh, uh, the accusations are there. Verse number eight, while he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar have I offended anything at all. We're almost seeing an implication here that these are the three charges they may have brought against him that he's done something against the law of the Jewish people, or he's defiled the temple in some way, or perhaps he's leading in an insurrection against Caesar. 
And Paul says in those three areas, uh, in none of those have I offended anything at all. They have no proof. And he's there standing, uh, proclaiming his innocence. I've done anything wrong and, and they know it. And there's no proof that I have. But look at verse nine. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure. Isn't that the same thing that Felix did in verse 27? Willing to show the Jews a pleasure left Paul bound. So uh, Felix is, is uh, trying to play the politician rather than do right. Um, he, he's trying to, to keep both sides happy. Uh, willing to do the Jews a pleasure answered Paul and said, wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? So he knows the Jews, that would make them very happy. He wants them on his side so that he doesn't end up like his predecessor. Um, uh, th this part of the world, Palestine, was just known throughout the Roman Empire uh, as being a very difficult post for anybody to have to serve in uh, because the Jews did not see themselves as, as uh, Roman subjects. Uh, the, the Jewish people at this time were one of the few people in the entire world that, that had a belief in one God, uh, they, and they believed so strongly in their scriptures, and, and Rome was an offense to them. Um, so he's, he's uh, asking Paul, will you go up to Jerusalem and face the charges there? What happened the last time that happened? Anybody remember? Remember when Lysias called the Sanhedrin in? And uh, said, let's, let's talk. Let's figure this out. Anybody remember what happened? That was riot number two. We're all asleep tonight or we're all um, elderly like the pastor and, and we can't remember that far. Um, and in verse number 10, then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof they accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. Uh, Paul is taking a very drastic step here. He knows he's not going to get any justice in Jerusalem, which is sad. Um, he has also learned after two years, he's really not going to get any justice in Caesarea. He's been in, he's been in political limbo uh, for the last two years, and, and he's, he's, he's just seeing the handwriting on the wall. It's just more of the same. So as a Roman citizen, he had the right and the privilege of appealing his case to Caesar. Now, at the time that Paul made that appeal, does anybody know who the Caesar in Rome was? It was Nero. Um, Nero took the throne of Rome about 55 AD when he was 17 years old. Um, and uh, he's about five years into his reign uh, at this time, as far as we can tell from history. And of course, we, you know, Nero, we know that he turned out to be a monster. He became a major persecutor of believers. Uh, he was a paranoid, murderous guy. He was an immoral guy and so forth. But the, in, in reality, in his first few years as emperor, he was not a bad guy. Part of that was because there was a Roman senator by the name of Seneca. Has anybody ever heard of him? 
He was known for his wisdom. He was very highly respected within the Senate. Um, if, if there were bad controversies, oftentimes a word from Seneca uh, could, could settle the issue. And he did so with very sound reasoning and logic. He had a, a grasp on Roman law and he held to that very well respected. He was actually Nero's mentor for the first several years of his reign. So when Paul is appealing to, uh, to, to Caesar, Nero is the guy, uh, but Paul is not making a foolish choice here, uh, saying, I'd, I'd rather be standing in front of a madman than, than, than here. Uh, Paul is seeing maybe an, an end to this whole thing. He also knows by appealing to Caesar, where does he have to go? He has to go to Rome. Turn back a couple pages. There's a, right before that plot was put in place to kill him, and after the second riot in verse 11, the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. It had long been Paul's desire to go to Rome. There were believers there uh, that got saved on the day of Pentecost. We know in Acts 2 that Rome was one of the places listed where people had come to Jerusalem for that, that, uh, that feast and uh, that they would have been among those that got saved. Uh, they would have been the group Paul wrote the book of Romans to. And he knows that's where the Lord wants him to go. So whether Paul was directed by a sense of self-preservation or whether it's just Paul saying, I'm tired of being in limbo, or whether Paul may have had direct um, leadership from the Lord himself. He wants to go to Rome, and he realizes this is the only answer that he can have. And so he appeals unto Caesar, verse 12, Then Festus, when, we, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar thou shalt go. They couldn't deny it. Paul had asserted his Roman citizenship, and as such, he couldn't be denied. But Festus has a problem here. He has a problem. And the problem is that you don't just send little minor things to the emperor of the Roman Empire for a decision. It's sort of like our Supreme Court in the United States on the federal level. Um, uh, as you go through the appellate system, once your case has been tried, if you're not happy with the result, you can appeal to a higher court and the Supreme Court is the highest. But the Supreme Court does not hear every case that comes before it. They look at its merits and sometimes they look at it and say, this isn't something that we ought to even be dealing with. This ought to be dealt with on the state level and they toss it back and say, deal with it there uh, if you will, only the most important cases, the constitutional cases, are those that the Supreme Court generally uh, deigns to hear. The same thing is true with going to Caesar. Festus has a problem because, number one, this is a matter of one guy that made a bunch of Jewish leaders mad at him, and it's, it's about their faith and their religion. Uh, the guy has not uh, caused riots. Uh, he's not a part of the assassins, the Sicarii that we've discussed a couple of times. Um, this is a case that really Felix should have dealt with two years prior and just said, look, they can't prove anything. Paul, you're free to go. 
That should have been what was done, but he's trying to curry favor with the Jews. Festus tried the same approach, and it's really backfired, and he's now got to do it. He has no legal recourse, so he's got to send Paul, and he's got to send a written accusation against him before Caesar, and uh, it's not a good thing. Um, it, it is, in the eyes of the emperor of the, of the world, this is so trivial. Uh, it's not Paul that's in danger right now. Uh, it's Festus, because he's been entrusted by the emperor of Rome to rule this country, and this is just going to say, yeah, basically Festus is an idiot. He can't handle these little things. I need to get him out of there. So Paul's appealed. There's no going back on this one. Um, verse 13, after certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus. A new character strolls on the stage. Um, King Agrippa. This man, Agrippa, is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the one who tried to kill Jesus when he was a child and slaughtered all of the, the, the kids uh, two years of age and under in Bethlehem. Um, and uh, uh, Agrippa is his grandson. His father, Agrippa I, is the one that killed the apostle James. And then while making a speech, and they were all trying to flatter him and said it is the voice of a God, and he accepted their praise, God smote him, and he was consumed of worms and died a horrible, gruesome death. Um, this is that guy's son. Um, Agrippa um, was uh, pretty much the same as the rest of his family. Um, uh, he, uh, he married a gal named Bernice, and this is going to gross us out. Bernice was his younger sister. Uh, he, was, he was an Edomite uh, of the descendants of Esau. Um, and, uh, you know, Herod, they were all kind of puppet rulers uh, allowed to be there by the grace of Rome. Um, and uh, immoral behavior was really rampant within Herod's family. And that's who this King Agrippa is. And, and he's got a little bit more authority than does the governor, Festus. And uh, we're actually going to see Festus is going to try to roll this whole issue over onto Agrippa, get him to take the fall and wash his hands of the whole thing. So uh, he and his wife come to Caesarea to salute Festus. And when they'd been there many days, Festus declared Paul's cause unto the king, saying there is a certain man left in bonds by Felix, about whom when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priest and the elders of the Jews informed me, desiring to have judgment against him, to whom I answered, it is not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die before that he which is accused have the accusers face to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. Thus far, he's really telling the truth. He's, he's standing on moral and legal uh, grounds here. Verse 17, therefore, when they were come hither without any delay on the morrow, I sat in the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought forth against whom when the accusers stood up, they brought none accusations of such things as I supposed. He said, I'm, I was assuming that this guy tried to murder one of them, that he stole stuff from the temple, that he was some major criminal. He said, um, there are accusations. It was nothing like I supposed, but had certain questions against him of their own superstition. 
Now, let me stop there for just a moment. The word superstition, um, Festus uses a very intriguing word here. He's talking about Paul. He's talking about this prisoner, though he has not named him yet. Um, he had, and at the same time, he's going to show that he has very little respect for the Jewish people. The word superstition means demon worship. It's how the Romans viewed the Jewish people, that their belief in one God and all the rest of the gods that the, the world worshipped were, were uh, uh, pagans and so forth uh, and, and, and uh, not real. He actually uses a word that means demon worship, superstition, and of one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. This is the resurrection. Because I doubted of such manner of questions, I asked him whether he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these matters. Felix had a perfect understanding of that way. Okay, his wife was a Jewess, remember that. Um, so he had an understanding. Festus is coming from Rome. He doesn't know anything about what the Jews believe. He has no idea what Paul believes. Um, so it, it's all a mystery to him. Um, he says, so because I doubted of such manner of questions, I asked him whether we go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these matters. But when Paul had appealed to be reserved under the hearing of Augustus, now he's not saying that Augustus is still alive. That was who was alive when Jesus was born. Um, but the seat of Rome was often called the seat of Augustus. That name uh, was just carried through um, uh, throughout Roman history. Uh, be reserved under the hearing of Augustus. I commanded him to be kept till I might send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to, unto Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, this is Festus speaking, thou shalt hear him. Agrippa is um, intrigued. Agrippa's family uh, has lived in Palestine for generations. Uh, they're very familiar with the Jewish religion and faith, the temple and so forth. Um, it may also be they're very familiar uh, with the history of Jesus of Nazareth um, and so forth. Uh, it's, it's doubtful whether Agrippa was alive at the time of Christ, but his father would have been. Um, and the miracles which Jesus did, the multitudes that followed him would have been well known in their history. So Agrippa is, is very, very intrigued by this, said, yeah, I, I want to hear him. And so they make plans for the next day for that to happen. And on the morrow, when Agrippa was come in Bernice with great pomp and was entered into the place of hearing with the chief captains and principal men of the city, at Festus' commandment, Paul was brought forth. They're making a big deal out of this. Remember, Festus has to find a way to cover his bases on this. This is going to Caesar. There's nothing he can do to stop it. So, so he's, he's making a, a big deal of this, and Paul is now brought forth. And Festus said, King Agrippa, and all men which are here present with us, ye see this man, about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and that he himself hath appealed to Augustus, I have determined to send him, of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord, referring to Caesar. Wherefore I brought him before you, and especially, and especially before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination had, I might have somewhat to write. 
For it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not withal to signify the crimes laid against him. Um, Festus is very diplomatically laying all of this at Agrippa's feet, saying, I'm not sure what to write, so I want you to hear the man out, and you're going to tell me, and basically you're going to sign off on this because I'm a lowly governor, and you're a king of this region, and he's, he's trying to protect himself uh, and his position. By the way, Paul, by the time Paul gets to Rome, uh, Festus will have passed away. Remember, he only, he only was governor in Judea uh, for uh, two years, and then he passed away uh, and so forth. And uh, Paul's going to outlive a whole bunch of these people. Chapter number 26, we are going to enter into one of uh, uh, Paul's classic sermons. We've seen him preach similar in chapter 22. Um, and and uh, Paul's going to preach before this king, Agrippa. And Agrippa is going to come to a place so very close to uh, that which Felix did. Remember Felix said he trembled when I have a convenient time. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll hear more of you. Uh, we're going to find this King Agrippa from a bad background, from a wicked family, uh, fall under very, very similar conviction. And he's going to make a statement to Paul that is probably well known to all of us at the end of all of those things. And uh, we're going to pick this up next Wednesday evening. Um, and uh, work through this sermon. Uh, what I will tell you is um, Paul's sermon is going to be all about his testimony. Last night in our men's Bible study, wonderful time we had, uh, the subject came up of, of uh, conveying our faith, conveying the message uh, of the gospel by sharing what the Lord's done for us. And in 1 John chapter 1, that's basically what John is passing along. We're telling you what we have seen and heard. And now you tell what you've seen and heard. And that's what Paul is going to do. Sometimes we have the idea uh, that, that soul winning is a very complicated thing. Now, I think you need to be able to rightly divide the scriptures and, and so forth. But sometimes you don't have a Bible handy. Uh, I, I've shared the gospel more than once at the gym. And, uh, you know, generally when, I, when I'm uh, bench pressing or something like that, I, I don't have my Bible there with me. I do have my phone, but oftentimes I don't even have the opportunity to look something up. I'm just talking to somebody. I'm in conversation, but I've shared the gospel a number of times uh, that way. Uh, I've shared the gospel on airplanes, at bus stops, different places like that. How many of you know how you got saved? Okay. You now know how to tell somebody else how to get saved. It's really that simple. Um, and Paul was always ready, always, always ready to do that. Uh, when when uh, Lysias brought him down in Acts 22 and he's before the Sanhedrin, there he is just sharing it. When he's before Festus, just sharing his testimony, he's going to do the same thing with Agrippa. And his testimony was so powerful that a king came under confession. Uh, I'm sorry, under conviction. Um, can I also say this? Paul not only had a testimony of getting saved, he lived that testimony. Um, you and I can make a profession of what we believe and what we profess might be completely true and scriptural. But if it's not coupled with the testimony of a life that backs up what we profess, it makes all of it null and void. And we need to be mindful of that. Paul's a man that refused to accept bribes. 
He could have been out of there a long time ago, and that would have been a black mark on his record. Uh, Paul could have fought fire with fire. He could have done a lot of things. Paul has conducted himself wisely. He's been respectful to, to everybody uh, around him, even when, uh, when uh, the chief priest ordered him to be smacked in the face, uh, 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 smacked across the mouth, and Paul made a statement about and, and called him a whited wall, not knowing it was the high priest. As soon as he found out it was, Paul backed down and said, I didn't know. I didn't know that's who it was. Uh, the Bible says, thou shalt not speak evil against the ruler of thy people. And Paul stood corrected. He kept his testimony intact. He kept his testimony intact so that when he spoke, people trembled. When he spoke, people, even if they rejected Christ, it wasn't because he turned them off with a bad testimony. It was going to be later in chapter 26. This king is sitting on a throne in a packed courtroom with all the pomp and glamour that, that Festus could arrange for him. His wife is sitting his side and Agrippa's gonna look at him and say, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Think about that. May God help us to have a testimony that impactful. Now, um, Agrippa didn't get saved and Festus and Felix did not get saved, but read the book of Acts. And read how many people did get saved because the Apostle Paul was ready to preach that gospel every chance that he got. Not everybody we talk to is going to respond by saying, yes, I want to receive Christ. That is between them and God. We've done our job if we've, if we've given the right message and we've lived the right message. Our hands are clean. But there's going to be a lot of people that will get saved if we'll just take the time to say, hey, do you know for sure you're going to go to heaven someday? Can I tell you what somebody told me and what Jesus did for me? And uh, you might be amazed. You will be amazed at what God will do. We need to stop there. Thank you for being here tonight. Father, thank you for the Bible.